Welcome to High on Hearts, the podcast. I am Jessie Mae Wolf, your host, and I look forward to serving up your weekly dose of Heart Rise, all about empowering you to live and lead heart first. Hello, hello there. I am Jessie Mae Wolf coming to you with this week's episode of High on Heart. And I am very excited to be welcoming our Rebel Heart guest for today. This is someone whose work I have deeply appreciated and who is really an inspirational force on the planet, pioneering in the field of emotional intelligence. And I'm really thrilled to share this conversation with you. So we're going to be bringing in Chip Connolly. I'm going to share a little bit about him and then we'll dive right in. Chip is a rebel hospitality entrepreneur, New York Times bestselling author, a leader at the forefront of the sharing economy. At 26, he founded Joie de Vivre Hospitality, transforming one inner city motel into the second largest boutique hotel brand in America. After running his company as CEO for 24 years, he sold it. And soon, the young founders of Airbnb asked him to help transform their promising startup into the world's leading hospitality brand. Chip served as Airbnb's head of global hospitality and strategy for four years, and today acts as the company's strategic advisor for hospitality and leadership. His books, his five books, which are phenomenal, include Peak and Emotional Equations and are inspired by the theories of transformation and meaning by famed psychologists, Abraham Maslow and Viktor Frankl. In his new book, which we're gonna be talking about, Wisdom at Work, The Making of a Modern Elder, which just came out, Chip shares his experiences as both mentor and unexpected intern at Airbnb. He is also the founder of Fest 300, part of Everfest, and he, is the recipient of hospitality's highest honor, the Pioneer Award, holds an MBA from Stanford, honorary doctorate in psychology from Saybrook. He serves on the boards of Burning Man Project and Esalen Institute. He is truly an incredible man doing amazing work on the planet at a time when we need more heart and emotional intelligence than ever. Chip, it is my absolute honor and pleasure to welcome you to High on Heart. Wow. <laughs> Thank you. Well, that was a beautiful intro and I'm just so honored to be with you. Well, really such a pleasure. And I want to share with our listeners a little bit of my initial uh, intro to you. Well, I had seen a little bit of what you were doing and I'd sort of heard your name circulating. And when I learned that you were speaking at the Wisdom Conference, which is where I heard you speak, I was just totally moved by everything you shared. And one of the pieces that for me was so interesting that I really want to focus on and I feel is a big part of what you're up to right now is where emotional intelligence meets digital intelligence and that intersection. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to really dive into that because I thought it was such a brilliant way that you presented that and how relevant the sort of older generation that sometimes feels not as relevant um, yeah. can serve the sort of the youth culture and the sort of in this high tech kind of fast-paced community, you know, world that we're living in and how those two kind of play together. So we'll dive into that. But if you could start by just sharing a little bit of when this sort of emotional intelligence and speaking specifically around the heart mm-hmm. intelligence and, and when you became aware of that piece, and then we can sort of bridge it into 
the digital space? Well, I think, you know, when you call your company at age 26, joie de vivre, <laughs> and which is a very impractical name in, in the U.S. because it's hard to pronounce, hard to spell, and a lot of people don't know what it means. But, you know, it's an emotion, joy of life. And <clears throat> at age 26, I, I really re- realized that putting your heart into what you do, uh, given how many hours we tend to put into our work, was essential for me. And I was seeking my calling. I wasn't seeking a, go- a job. So that's where I was, you know, more than 30 years ago. Over time, what I saw is that the heart um, of a business is the emotions that people feel within it. And, um, and that uh, leaders are the emotional contagions for those they lead. I mean, we really have an enormous impact on how people feel about themselves. Mm. Um, and the workplace, you know, there's a, a, something I used to say a few years ago, which is that it's beautiful that the workplace and companies have gotten smarter about their ecological foot, uh, footprint. Um, but I think many companies need to figure out what the emotional fist print is. Ooh. And the point of that was to sort of say companies can have a tragic effect on individual sense of emotions, and that has an effect on their home life. Mm. Um, and so I've always been interested in this. I ended up writing a book, Emotional Equations. Well, Peak was a book on, based upon Abraham Maslow's psychology theory of the hierarchy of needs, very t- fundamental to how I ran the company, Joie de Vivre. And then uh, after I sold the company, I had had a really deep sense of depression, um, had had a few friends commit suicide, had a flatline experience myself. All of that took me to a place of really trying to understand my emotions better. And that's when I wrote Emotional Equations, which is really a, sort of a, a, gosh, it's a book for people who are leaders who want to understand their emotions better and understand how their emotions influence other people, but also understand the underlying ingredients of emotions like disappointment, anxiety, happiness, um, and the like. And um, so... That took me to where I ended up joining Airbnb. And, and one of the things that was interesting about joining Airbnb uh, five and a half years ago was they dis- desperately wanted me to, to focus on the culture of the company um, and especially the focus on the emotional, the way that we can create an emotionally um, abundantly beautiful place, um, not just within the organization for employees, but also for our host community and our guests. And so... I've been lucky enough all, over all these years to um, to be someone who realizes that uh, culture is important. And, you know, as someone once said, culture eats strategy for lunch. Um, and in essence, what they're saying is, listen, if you have a, a great strategy, but a bad culture, you're not going to get very far. If you have a bad strategy, but a good culture, you probably actually will do better than than people would expect. So, you know, it's real, you know, culture is all about people. Right. And I, and, and I want to actually for a moment, just pause and I love everything you're saying. And I'm totally with you because I, you know, I bring HeartRise into companies and I see how much the culture is so fundamental and paramount in developing strategy itself. And I love that distinction because I think it's so important. So many, especially the old school modality is very much focused on the strategy and the bottom line. And if you could just shed light on a little bit more specifically, the culture and the emotional intelligence piece and mm-hmm how that facilitates a, a culture in which, you know, communication and, you know, you speak to the, you just mentioned relationships and how essential that is for, for real success. And I think that the short term loses sight of that, 
maybe you could just speak a bit to that. Yeah, you know, <clears throat> one of the things that I used to say to my leaders in Joie de Vivre is, um, you know, often managers aspire to be leaders, but I think leaders should aspire to be role models. And if you actually, mm -hmm. call, if you called yourself a role model instead of mm -hmm. a leader, it might actually influence the way you show up each day. Because what a role model knows is that other people take their lead and actually quite often emulate it, which is why leaders are such an important, you know, and potent part of any organization and of a culture. Um, <clears throat> culture is what goes on around here when the boss is not around. That's mm -hmm. one of the ways I define it. <laughs> I love it. And, but the person who actually helped influence the way things go on around here is the boss. Yeah. So when the boss or the leader has gone, those around them actually operate based upon sometimes both silent and explicit um, cultural mores and values and ways of being. And uh, so I just think that, that, you know, the key thing to know is that if you want to see, it's the classic sort of Gandhian point of view, which is be the change you want to see. So if you're a leader, um, create the change in your own behavior in a way that helps to emulate for others to see that's what you want to be. And for me, being a vulnerable visionary was part of the way people described me. I have always led from a place of being pretty open about who I am. Maybe part of it's because at age 22, I came out of the closet as a gay man. And at age 26, I was a CEO of a company um, as a gay man. And I think I've always had to be open to um, not hiding mm. who, I am, who I am, but also not hiding what I'm feeling. But I, but there's also a really important element This you know, some people are great, beautiful, loving, emotional bundles of craziness. <laughs> and it's a little, it's a little too much in the right. sense that, you know, there's an element of, you, you know, just like you don't say every thought that comes in your head, you don't necessarily express every emotion that is actually firing through your synapses and through your, your body. And and you have to be you know, reflective about, about this. You know, there's a beautiful quote from uh, Viktor Frankl in Man's Search for Meaning, which is, between, mm. between stimulus and response, there is a space. Mm. In that space is your power to choose your response. And in your response lies your growth and your freedom. And if we applied that, those three sentences to our emotions, it would suggest the following. It would suggest don't just express everything that you're, is going through you. Have a little bit of space between <clears throat> what you're feeling and how you're expressing it. Um, because occasionally having that pause will mean you're not as reactionary. Right. You'll, be, you'll be more responsive. Um, and so for me to be a vulnerable visionary means I'm open to being vulnerable. I am thoughtful about my vulnerability, meaning I know that if I'm feeling vulnerable, I, I want to make sure that I'm creating the welcome mat for people to be authentic. But I don't think anybody wants a leader who just is sort of like talking about every problem that they're sort of facing right now um, because it's almost too much information. And if you're going to be a vulnerable visionary, it means you have to have the visionary side too. Right. Because vulnerability as a leader without having a sense of confidence about where you're going can only scare people. <laughs> right. I mean, it can actually, they can initially draw people to you for sure. There's, and there's, right. that's good. That vulnerability is helpful. 
but right. if the vulnerability doesn't isn't wedded with a sense of confidence right. and a sense of vision of where you're going, then what it can lead to is people feeling a little bit lost or unsafe, even or unsafe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. Yeah, no, that's such a beautiful point. And I think that that, again, that pairing is really powerful because it's the both end. By being vulnerable, we build that trust and that connectivity, as I'm hearing you describe it. And then, the you know, sort of the, the, the relational side with, with the community, with the employees, with the people. And then the vision empowers them to see where, where everybody's going. So that, that complement is, is really potent. So that's a beautiful um, description of it. Um, yeah. And as far as where that then sort of relates into, because I love the pairing and it's, I think, such a really contemporary and very important conversation right now. Like it couldn't be more current as far as how we integrate this emotional intelligence into this digital, you know, rapid speed, <laughs> continuously changing um, at a frenetic pace environment of, of technology. Um, and, and, and sort of how we show up in that way. And, and, and I know that so many of the elders and we'll get into that or, or people who are of a certain age and older, and even, mm -hmm. if, you know, I'm, you know, I'm 42, so I'm sort of right in the middle. You uh, are on your way. You're an elder, I know. You're an elder in training. You're I know. Well, I refer, after I heard your talk, I was referring to myself as an elder and all my friends were like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And I'm like, well, I, you know, because I, I relate to so much of what you said. And I, I believe that, you know, the emotional intelligence and the digital, you know, intelligence are pair so beautifully. But I want to speak to two parts of this. One is that, you know, just because someone's older doesn't mean they necessarily have EQ, right? So yeah. I think there's an important part of that, um, that just because we've got the age on our side doesn't mean that we've graduated emotionally. And, I, and, and then looking at the digital intelligence and the youth and, and how many of them actually are quite emotionally intelligent. So maybe just speaking to that context as a... Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, just because you're older doesn't mean you're elder. Um, and just because, <laughs> yeah. and just because you're older doesn't mean you're wiser. Um, right. But here's, a, here's what we do know is that um, there, there's actually been a number of studies that have shown that there's very little correlation between age and wisdom. So that's, right. a, you know, for those who are older, like, you, you just don't lord it over the young people saying you're wiser. You aren't necessarily. Right. But what is clear is that you, there are ways to cultivate and harvest your wisdom and uh, one of the key pieces of, of wisdom and, uh, and emotional intelligence is being able to see the pattern recognition in life. Mm -hmm. And the longer you've been on the planet, the more patterns you've seen. And pattern recognition basically means you've seen something before that's sort of similar to what you're seeing now, and you know how this movie ends. And the, now it can lead to, to prejudgment at times, but it can also lead to really strong intuition. Mm. And that strong intuition is something that grows with time because you've seen more patterns. And long story short is, so someone can get wiser with time, no doubt about it. You just actually have to have the lessons and learn the lessons and so you're seeing the patterns. What happened to me at Airbnb was I joined Airbnb at age 52. I was twice the age of the average employee. I was brought in to be the head of hospitality and strategy to help take this little tech company and turn it into a hospitality company. But I had zero experience in the tech world. And so at age 52, I was a complete naive imbecile when it came, when it came to tech lingo and just the nature of that world. So what it became interesting was that I had something to offer. Mm. I, was, I, I was also the mentor to Brian Chesky, the CEO. 
Mm. So I was his mentor around a lot of different subjects, but he was my mentor as well. He mentored me around technology and millennial travel habits and dealing with Silicon Valley venture capital investors, which I'd never had to deal with before. Mm -hmm. And so the thing that's interesting that I think is fascinating about the world we live in today is we have five generations in the workplace for the first time. And each of us has something to bring to the table. Now, in, in some cases, it may be this sort of stereotypical, what I call EQ for DQ. Uh, I'm a boomer, in my case, my boomer EQ for Brian's millennial DQ, digital intelligence. Right. It, it doesn't always have to be that way. And right. it, doesn't, it doesn't always have to be the older person who has the EQ. It could be the younger person. Right. But, but generally speaking, we, as we age, we get smarter and wiser about humanity, both our own and everybody else, partly because of that pattern recognition. Mm. And so my primary role at Airbnb in my five and a half years there has, has actually often been mutual mentorship with people who are younger than me, where I'm teaching them something and they're teaching me something. Oh, I just love that so much. And I, I want to just... Um you know, echo or, or mirror what you were saying about, you know, it's really not necessarily related to age, but what I do, you know, what I've observed in my, you know, in my years and my experiences is that as we do integrate those, you know, experiences and patterns, as you beautifully put it, it can help to harness the emotional intelligence, which then allows us to show up in a more um, responsive capacity, which I think is um, a beautiful space in which to then be learning from each other's gifts and 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 whatever the intelligence that we can bring. And I, I also just wanted to acknowledge too what you mentioned about the five generations in the workplace. Like that is wild. I hadn't actually realized it was that many at this. That which is just really unbelievable to even contemplate. And I think that that your cue about really looking at what is. It, that each person can bring to the table um, for everyone listening is just something really important to consider in particular in the workplace, because I think it's, you know, I see it a lot where, where people don't feel relevant anymore. And I know it's so much of, you know, what your, what your work um, and your service provides a space for people to, to be more, to feel more relevant. So um, yeah. And I, and the humility too, that you speak of, you know, which is beautiful, you know, the vulnerability and the humility, I think, that's where the willingness to sort of meet people where they are, um, I think is really beautiful and you describe it. So um, it's such an inspiring story to hear how you and Brian worked that out. Um, so in that, how you then have now transitioned a little bit into, I wanna speak about just what that looks like now for some of the older generations. Cause I know that there are you know those listening and then I also have a lot of young listeners and in, in community as well. And, and how do we proceed? So, because there's a lot of old school companies that are very lost out at sea, like don't know quite how to move in this new fast paced world. Um, and then, and then the other two is true too, where you have these younger companies, some of whom I'm working with who are moving at the speed of light and not quite able to keep up with the sort of engaged interactions and, and all of that. So what would even just be some some guidance or, or observations or ways in which someone listening might be able to begin even integrating some of these principles? And I know you speak to it in your book. Yeah, I, I mean, I, some of this I'll, I do cover in the book as well as at our academy, which we'll talk about. So the book's called Wisdom at Work, The Making of a Modern Elder. It's not just written for the modern elder. And let me define elder, first of all. First of all, elder is a relative term. You could be a 40-year-old surrounded by 25-year-olds and you would be a generational elder which yes. means you have a little bit more pattern recognition because you've been on the planet a little bit longer, so you've seen some more things. 
Um, it doesn't mean you're in charge though. And this is the key is that um, the elder of the past was regarded with reverence and the elder that's the modern elder is appreciated for their relevance. It's not about reverence. It's about relevance and reverence was obligatory and hierarchical relevance speaks to the idea that I was as much an intern as I was a mentor at Airbnb. And so I was able to take my supposedly timeless wisdom and apply it to modern day problems only because I was that curious intern in terms of my mind, the beginner's mind who actually could sort of understand technology and understand home sharing, understand millennial travel habits, and then start applying my timeless wisdom to that. But if I had had the perspective that all my job was is to dispense wisdom of that I've learned over the years, but I'm not the curious learner, then frankly, I wouldn't have understood how to make myself relevant in that place. And so that's the key is I think mm -hmm. um, we are all mentors and interns in life. So this is not just true of people in midlife um, who may be an elder mm -hmm. uh, relative to those around them. This could be someone who's younger as well. You, you know, you, the key, embrace both. Um, mm. And that allows you to be a mentor, which is a mentor. In, in, I love in, that. <laughs> at the same time. So, I, I, you know, we, we teach this also at the Modern Elder Academy, which is... Um, yes, down, please yeah. share about that because I love what you're doing with this. Yeah, this is down in Mexico. It's a, an hour north of Cabo San Lucas in um, the Baja Sur Peninsula, so southern Baja. Very safe area, um, which is great. We're in Todos Santos, Pescadero area. So it's a well-known, long-time uh, fishing, organic farming and fishing community. And um, beautiful beachfront three-acre campus where we bring people <clears throat> and as young as in their mid-30s, as old as their mid-70s, but most of the average age is about 52. Um, people who come and do a week-long or a two-week-long program in essence, navigating midlife transitions and mining their mastery for what they've learned so far so that they can repurpose it in new ways into the future. And it's a core curriculum that's really defined by my book and the four key lessons in the book, which are to evolve, which is the first lesson, to, mm -hmm. lear to learn, second lesson, to collaborate, third lesson, and to counsel, the fourth lesson. So mm -hmm. in, in that particular order is how we teach it. And I, I guess I would just say, most people underestimate how much of their adult life they have left. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I turn 58 next week, but I'm still 57 for now. And mm -hmm. according to online surveys, when you, when I do my longevity surveys, it says I'll live to about age 98 probably. So yeah. let's say that's true. Let's say I'm going to live till age 98. Well, if I start counting my adult life at age 18 and I look at how much of my adult life is still ahead of me, the math is fascinating. I am, as of next week on Halloween, which is my birthday, Woo! <laughs> I, I will be at halftime in my wow. adult life. Now, not too many people at age 58 think of themselves at halftime. Um, right. In fact, I started learning how to surf at age 56. Now, a lot of people would say, well, I'm too old to surf. Well, maybe not. I mean, it depends on, you know, your adventures of spirit and whether your body can handle it. But the truth is there's all kinds of things we can do in our 50s, 60s, and 70s, and maybe 80s, yeah. um, not just physically, but interesting things in the world. Because if you're going to live till 98, you have a lot of life ahead of you. Mm. Unfortunately, we get beaten down culturally yeah. in a way that sort of says it's all, you know, it's all downhill from age 45. But you know, the truth is our physical peaks in our 20s 
And, you know, and so, yeah, it's downhill from our twenties. If it's, if all you're looking at is your physical health. Um, so there's so many other elements. Oh, but I love that. And I, you know, and what I'm hearing and it's so, I mean, it's such important work you're doing. And and even just to consider that, because it's true that we've been so programmed to think that, you know, you sort of are rounding the bend at, at a certain age and then it's down, you know, and we really have that mindset, which has been so ingrained in, in, you know, in so many of us, especially in the Western world, but that piece around and what I keep hearing is the emotional intelligence is such an, a fundamental aspect of our mindset, our well-being, our how we show up, our, you know, mining, uh, you know, mining our gifts as you or mining our mastery. Is that how you describe it? I love what you said. Mining our mastery. And, yeah, which, yeah. And we, you know, because it's, for me, it's just like the coup de grace, just everything I've been doing. We, we, we focus on emotional intelligence there too. We help people to understand yeah. one of, you know, some of the emotional uh, equations I have yeah. in that book, which is like anxiety equals uncertainty times powerlessness. Well, once you understand that there's two predominant um, ingredients that create mm. anxiety, it's mm. that sense of uncertainty mm. and this, that sense of being powerless. You, you can, and, and it's not a plus between them. It's actually a time. So they're actually sort of combustible. Right. You, you can start actually looking at how do I create more certainty in my life? Uh, what are the things I can be certain of? And how do I create a little more influence and power in my life such that I actually move out of this place of anxiety? Um, so the, while the, each week has a different theme, 80% of our curriculum is, is pretty much this, the core curriculum, um, every week. And it's a, the thing I'm most proud of, it's a, it's a social enterprise. So 50% mm. of the people coming are on scholarship. Mm. Um, because one of my favorite experiences was to, was to see, uh, you know, a 48 year old social, uh, so a social worker walking down the beach with a 60 year old investment banker. And they were learning from each other and came back crying and laughing at the same time. Mm-hmm. So the idea that this is not just a place where, you know, rich, retired, mm-hmm. you know, tech CEOs go, right. but it's anybody can go um, is really important because, you know, the thing is we, we don't have a midlife wisdom school in the world. No. <laughs> you know, there's, place, there's places you can go learn, but, you know, yeah. as a society, we historically, we have helped people in transitional times in their life by creating rites of passage and celebrations and puberty and, mm. uh, and graduation and marriage, and baby showers dying. But mm. in this midlife, because midlife in the year 1900 was 47. So I'm sorry, midlife longevity was 47. So midlife yeah. was 24. We just don't have a history as a, as a people to know that midlife is full of transitions and we need a way to help people go through those transitional times. Oh, I just love that. And it's, I mean, it's such beautiful work you're doing in the world. And I, I encourage everyone to check it out. Um, we're, we're going, we're sort of rounding out here, but I want to, um, just as a, as there's been so many juicy wisdom nuggets in here for everybody, but what would be just a, a last sort of guiding piece for anyone listening? And like I said, there's been so much in here, but for anyone who is stimulated by this conversation, you know, you mentioned, I love what you said about the uncertainty and anxiety. That's one good prompt, but maybe another, just a guiding piece for anyone listening who's inspired by this conversation, feeling a little stuck and wanting mm. to sort of tap in other well, than picking up the book, which also I highly yeah, recommend. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think one thing that's interesting is, um, and this is, this, I will, I will focus this on people in midlife, but it could be appropriate for anybody at any age. Um, there's a woman who's a good friend and she's one of the most successful executive recruiters in the world. 
And I was talking with her about like, so what do you do with people who feel like they're too old to get a job? You know, and in Silicon Valley, it starts around age 35. But I mean, it's mm-hmm. in, in much of the world, it's in people in their 40s and 50s um, and sometimes 60s. So I said, what is it? Like, you know, LinkedIn, you know, it says where your alma mater was and what year you graduated. It's like you can't hide these things. Mm-hmm. And she said something that was so beautiful. She said, you know, when someone's curious and passionately engaged in what they're doing their wrinkle they, their wrinkles disappear mm. and what she meant by that was curiosity is the life affirming elixir and it's the thing that sort of almost you know and we all can be curious at age 40 mm. at, age, at age 4 or age 104 so curiosity is something that we have as as sort of a human talent if we want to cultivate it And that passionate engagement with life is something that people feel energetically. And when you see that curiosity and that passionate energy, energetic uh, engagement, you're seeing a person's energy and their energy is what you vibe with, not, not their wrinkles. so, So my number one piece of advice for people who are trying to go out and remake themselves at, at any age is to get curious first and foremost, and then find something that actually passionately engages you. And just know that if you're going to go out and try to interview for jobs or whatever you're going to do, when you show that passionate engagement and that curiosity, people are drawn to you. Oh, aho. that is just such a beautiful note to wrap on. I absolutely love that. It comes full circle because the energy is contagious, as you said. So super beautiful. It's been absolutely a pleasure. What is the best way that they can, that listeners can find you? Um, Chipconley.com spelled C-O-N-L-E-Y. And when you go to chipconley.com, you'll see the book, the Academy, my own site. Um, And I do uh, write lots of articles on LinkedIn. So you can go to my profile there and read lots of articles. And they're so juicy. I encourage everyone to go and have a listen, have a read, check out the site and just tune in because you have so much to share. And really, it's been absolutely a pleasure, Chip. I want to thank you for joining us. And to everyone tuning in, I really do highly encourage you to go on over. There's lots of great talks that you've got online too. There's so many places and spaces to connect further and continue to do this work because it's such important work. So thank you for being with us. Thank you to all of our listeners. And we will catch you next week for more High on Heart. Thank you so much for joining us this week for this edition of High on Heart. I am Jessie Mae Wolf. If you enjoyed the show, please pass it along. Share it with someone you love. And come find us online at heartrisemovement.com on all the social networks. And we look forward to connecting with you in all the ways we do. Your radiance is contagious. Contagious.